0: Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. We're going to jump into Genesis chapter 6. Have you guys been enjoying the devotionals so far? If you haven't, just be quiet about it because I don't want you to hurt my feelings, all right? But uh, we're about to jump into month two, which is pretty amazing. And um, I just love what God does in people's lives when they take the time to engage in his word. It's beautiful. And so let's open in prayer, ask the Holy Spirit to teach us as we dive into Genesis 6. So Father God, we invite you, we thank you that you have given us your spirit for lots of reasons. But one of those is to teach us the truth. And not just teach us the truth, but reveal who you are to us. So, Father God, we ask you this morning that through the Holy Spirit, you would teach us and guide us and open our hearts and minds, and we ask that you'd snap off every lie of the enemy that we accidentally have believed, God, that you would replace it with the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So, of course, Pastor Jason asked me to preach on this section, which is the flood. It's a super encouraging passage of scripture. I don't know why you're laughing. (laughs) Starting in verse 5, it says, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I've been meditating on this scripture a lot, and I, I just feel I don't know if you feel the emotion of God's heart over this situation. We know that the world was a few generations old and it was filled with violence. Starting with Cain and it continually, continually snowballed and became more and more godless and violent. And God's heart was literally breaking over the fact that he had made mankind. Can you imagine, I mean, For those of you who are parents, could you imagine getting to the place where you are sorry you had children? Now, I'm not talking about just like, man, I wish I'd never, you're acting like a dirtbag right now. I don't mean like that kind of sorrow, but where you are literally grieved and wish they had never existed. I don't know any parent who has felt that. God felt that way at this moment. And I tell you what, as I have taken the time to just think about the situation I can't even imagine getting to that place where God felt there was no other solution than to wipe humanity off the face of the earth. Can you imagine how bad it must have been? Before we really move into the the depths of this content, I want to point out something about Noah. You see, Noah lived in a generation that was wicked and full of violence, but he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This word favor is the word grace. It's also closely related to the word presence, meaning that Noah had a relationship with God somehow. It's interesting to note as well that Noah comes from the line of Seth who replaced Abel, who was murdered by his brother. You guys know the story a few chapters before. And after Seth was born and he had his son Enosh, it says that people began to call on the name of the Lord again. Interesting. It's like Adam and Eve forgot or something. So Seth introduced this practice into the land again amongst the people of calling on the name of the Lord. It's a fancy way of making the Lord their Lord. Follow what I'm saying? And Noah was from this line of Seth, a people who called on the name of the Lord. It may be fair to say, this is again my opinion, that Noah and his family were the only ones on the earth doing this anymore. Out of all the thousands or hundreds of thousands of people on the earth at the time, Noah walked in relationship with God. It's incredible because verse 9-9 says this, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. You remember the last time I preached, we talked about grace and we talked about staying in step with the Spirit and walking with God. Noah was one of these guys. He was walking with God Caring about what God cared about. He was a man who feared God. Now, just to break that down, yes, that li- the word fear literally is the word to be afraid or terrified. But in this context, they would use it in these times as a word that would mean someone who, who actually lived out what they believed God wanted in their lives. They didn't just say it. They actually did it too. They let their life line up with their beliefs because they wanted to honor the Lord. This is the fear of God. Noah was righteous, and this word righteous means the same word as justice, and actually in this context means to be right related to another. So Noah was rightly related to God. He respected him, honored him, And did what he knew pleased the Lord. He's kind of like a type, a new type of Adam. One whom the Lord would start over with, with humanity. But the question still remains, and this might be a tough one, and I'm not saying we're going to get to an answer on this, but why did God feel that the only option was to wipe out humanity and start over with Noah? Why? Why didn't he just send Jesus during that time? Why did he do that and then wait all that time to send Jesus? Now, I'm not trying to send you into a faith crisis or anything like that. But Jesus is God. Jesus was a friend of sinners. But we see this Old Testament God destroying sinners. Do you feel the tension? Why? The best, honestly, as I've been stewing on this and stewing on this and stewing on this, we have to understand that the people had forgotten God. In Noah's day, the sacredness and the value of human life had been forgotten. The reason for which human beings had been created had been corrupted and defiled. People were created to have relationship with God. Not only that, it says very clearly in the scriptures, it says that the place had become so violent and full of violence and every thought and intention of man was evil always. It was no longer a safe place for God's people. I believe that God in his mercy, put a stop to the corruption and evil that was afoot. It was God's mercy that he stopped what was happening, what was being perpetuated generation after generation after generation of evilness and vileness and wretchedness on the earth. He had to put a stop to it. If I believe if, let's just pretend here for a moment, if Jesus had come in that moment, I believe he would have been rejected. Even if he had died and risen again in that moment, it may not have done any good. Now, this is just speculation, of course, on my part. Because we know that God says, he says that at the fullness of time, Christ came. So there was a time and a place in history, a sign that designated for when Jesus would come. We can talk about that when we get to that part of the, the Bible, the year of the Bible here. It's going to be a few months away, just FYI. But I believe that God did what he had to do. Believing that God is all wise and all knowing, he knew that this could happen, but he hoped it wouldn't. But when it did, He had one option. And the question also remains, why didn't he just wipe everyone out and erase the knowledge of all of that and start over? The thing is that God is a covenant-making God. He's a God of relationship. He's a God of partnership. And he saw in Noah... A friendship and a partnership that was still intact. He was righteous and blameless before God. And he walked with God. Now the flood came and I'm not going to go into all the details of the ark and the flood and all that stuff because I believe you are very familiar with that. And if you're not, I encourage you to read chapters 6 and 7, 8 and 9 of Genesis. Now, after the flood, God reaffirmed something with Noah that is very important for us to grab a hold of, and I believe is the, the key of this message. And not only that, the key of understanding and unlocking the Bible. And it is this that God is a covenant making God. He makes covenants, He made a covenant with Adam and Eve, He made a covenant with Noah. He went on making covenants, and He's made a covenant with you. And there's a purpose and a reason to why he has made covenants. And we're going to dig into that today. In Genesis 9, 9 through 17, it says this I now establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, and all those who came out of the ark with you, every living creature. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you. Interesting that God's language is, this is the covenant that I am making between you and me. Who's making it? God's making it. Is Noah making it? No. No. God is making a covenant to Noah and he says, I have set my rainbow in the clouds and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. And whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again Will the waters become a flood to destroy all life? Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on earth. So God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on the earth. An everlasting covenant. Our God is a covenant-making God. So here's the question, though. What is a covenant? Is a covenant the same as a contract? Well, the Hebrew word here is the word berit. Say it with me now. Berit, just like that. You guys didn't try. Try again. Berit. Berit. There you go. Awesome. The Greek equivalent that we see is diatheke. Say it with me now like you're from Spain, diatheke. Perfect. Wow, really well done. Except you guys over here, I heard that. Not so great, but that's okay. So the Hebrew word for covenant appears 300 times in the Old Testament. Did you know that covenant was such a big word in the Bible? I didn't know that it appeared that many times until I started studying for this week. The Greek equivalent appears over 30 times and mostly talks about God's covenant with his people. In the Old Testament, sometimes it's a covenant between peoples. Most of the time, it's a covenant between God and people. Now, this word covenant, I said it's the most important word in the Bible, and that is because if you have all of these 66 books written by 40 different authors, there is that thread of covenant relationship that goes through every single one, from the beginning to the end. This Hebrew word has this meaning, it's defined as an intimate relationship between God and humankind, sovereignly initiated and maintained and fulfilled by God alone. Do you follow me? These covenants of old were covenants made by God initiated by God, maintained by God, fulfilled and upheld by God. Now, how is that different from a contract? I mean, because we don't use the word covenant very often. I mean, if you buy a car or a house, you don't sign a covenant. I don't know why. They use covenants for HOAs, which are like, no offense to anybody, the worst thing in the world, it feels like sometimes. That's a horrible example of a covenant. Where it's like, you will do what I say and you will put your trash cans where I say. And you will paint your house the color I say. That's not the meaning of a covenant, biblically speaking. Praise God. Okay? (laughs) A contract can look like this. It's bilateral. There are two parties, usually equal parties, who make an agreement to fulfill certain expectations. And if if one party fails to uphold their side of the bargain of the contract, then it nullifies the need for the other person to uphold their side. The contract is nullified at that point. A covenant, on the other hand, is unilateral, meaning one sided. It means it's initiated by a stronger party who decides the terms, the expectations, the outcomes, the timeline. When will it expire? Will it expire? What causes it to expire? And then the other party agrees to it. Really, the the second party in a covenant can just agree or not agree. Say, yeah, I'll do that or no, I won't. Very similar, in fact, to salvation where Jesus did it all and all we have to do is get in line with that covenant. Do you follow what I'm saying? Divinely initiated, maintained, and fulfilled is a covenant. Almost all covenants in the Bible are unconditional. is that incredible? Now, there are expectations, but they're unconditional in that your actions can't nullify the covenant. Have you guys ever been driving down the street and you have one of those people tailgating you just because they want to be close to you? You know, they're just one of those close drivers. And you're like, get away. So you speed up, they come right up with you. You slow down, not that you're trying to be a jerk or anything, but you slow down and they slow down and hang with you. It's like, dude, we're in two lanes. You can go around me. You can't shake them. And that's kind of like God with his covenants. You may want to get rid of him. You may want to try to offend him so bad that he will just finally leave you alone. But guess what? He's a covenant-making God, which makes him a covenant-keeping God, which means he will always be there. He's the one fulfilling the covenant with you. It isn't about you, but it is for you. That's the beauty of God. I don't think we comprehend the immensity of who God is. And what he is capable of and the immensity of his heart and how much love he has to pour out on people who are like us who are just insignificant little tiny pieces of 80 year old dust at best maybe 90 but his love man is so big and his passion for us is so strong That he says, I'm going to be a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. And I believe that's why he did not erase all of humankind from the face of the earth. Because he is a covenant-keeping God. And it grieved his heart. That's what the Bible says. We see For those of you who may think that God doesn't have emotions like we have, remember, we're created in his image. He expresses emotion. He expresses astonishment and surprise and sadness and grief. And God was deeply, deeply grieved over the situation in Noah's time. I can only imagine how grateful he was when he started contemplating what he needed to do. And he said, but my friend Noah... I think we can do this. With my friend Noah, we can. You see, this is the thing with a covenant. Biblical covenants are God's way of initiating a partnership in relationship with human beings. And this is part of what we have to understand is that throughout the history of God and humanity, he has constantly invited us into partnership with him. Do you realize that God, think about this, God wants to partner with humans to bring about his will on the earth. Now, could God do whatever he wants to do? 100% yes. But his desire is to partner with you. Say, God wants to partner with me. Say that. The invitation is there. And friends, this morning, I was sensing that some of you, along with Pastor Jason, he and I were talking about this, some of you are stuck in a place of fear or concern about what God is up to in your life. But I will tell you the answer is this. It's always for your good, and he is inviting you to be a part of it every single day. Every single day. Because God is a covenant-making God, and because he's a covenant-making God, he's a partnership-seeking God, and because he's a partnership-seeking God, He is a covenant-keeping God, because he has your good in mind. Just like with Noah. And I love it, when he makes his covenant with Noah, he says, never again will I destroy all life. You know why I think that's important? Let me illustrate it this way. There's a certain nation I have been to that will remain nameless, but because the legal system, and I'm not, let me just say this, I'm not saying that America's perfect in any way, but if you do bad stuff, the police will likely go after you, and stuff will happen. You follow what I'm saying? There's legal ramifications. In this particular nation, though, there's a lack of innovation and business and just general thriving for the primary reason that there, because there is corruption in the government. There's corruption amongst the police and law. There is no good legal process in this nation that I'm speaking about. And because of that, people do not thrive. People don't stick their necks out to start a business because they could get Everything taken from them, by the, even by the government. There was one particular business that we worked with. They literally, we got there. there was like, it was like a hostel, like a tourist business, and they had trucks and vans and stuff. Well, we got there, and they didn't have any transportation anymore. You know why? Because the military junta came over and just said, give us the keys. Thank you. And left. Who wants to do anything like multiply to fill the earth? when you've got that kind of stuff going on. So I think it was really important and logical of God to say to Noah, hey, bro, I'm telling you, go be fruitful, and multiply, the same thing I told to Adam and Eve. I really want you to do it, and you can have confidence in me, you can trust me that I will never again do this. So go, be fruitful, multiply, build cities, occupy, go, cultivate the land. Make wine, but don't drink that much wine, Noah. Whatever. But it gave them confidence to say, okay, you're telling me you're not going to do this again so we can have the confidence to go start life again. How many of you have even felt apprehensive about doing what God's called you to do today because you're concerned about, Well, what if a resurgence of COVID happens? And what if I lose my job? And and what if this? And And we can come up with 8 million excuses why we shouldn't take a step forward and trust God. Because you just never know what could happen. Well, guess what? Any of us could get hit by a car trying to cross a ward road today. We're not guaranteed anything, but we do know this, that God is inviting us into partnership and it's for our good to bless our families, to make his name great here and abroad so that people will know him. God has a plan and a prerogative and it involves you and me. You see, so many of us let the voice of fear tell us what to do, like it's in charge. It's not. Fear's not in charge God is. God's in charge. And he's a covenant-making, covenant-keeping, partnership-seeking God. Now here's the thing. I just want to point this out really quick. There were four major covenants in the Old Testament. One with Noah, okay? God required nothing of Noah, just that he trust him. He made a covenant with Abraham. He required Abraham, simply to trust him. The tribe of Israel, he made a covenant with them. He required them to follow the law, which was an act of faith and trust in the one who gave them the law. Trust again. King David, he made a covenant with David, and all he required of him was to lead the people to obey the law, which was an act of faith and trust in God who gave the law. So here's the thing. The thing that God is looking for in us and has always been looking for is one word, trust. Trust is the posture of a partner with God. Trust is the posture of a friend of God. Some people say worry is praying to the devil, right? Trust is your faith in action, meaning what you believe about God, you actually believe and let it affect the way you make decisions and live your life. Now, look, we're humans, right? If you're not a human, I'd love to meet you after the service. (laughs) But we're all humans here. And we struggle to put our faith into action in the form of trust. At times, I will tell you, there's a really key reason for this, and it's because we don't know the character and nature of God because we don't actually read the Bible. We don't know the story. We don't have that trustworthiness reaffirmed to us on a regular basis. But I will tell you, healing has a name. Hope has a name. Faith has a name. Trust has a name. Security has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of every covenant. We talk about the new covenant in Christ. But I'll tell you this, before Jesus even stepped foot on the earth as a human being, there were words that were from the Old Testament, from prophecy, that were prophesying forward from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. And I want to read those to you. This covenant is eternal and it's unbreakable because as it says in Hebrews chapter 7, this New Covenant was initiated through the life of Jesus, the indestructible life of Jesus. And because it was made with an indestructible life, the covenant with us is also indestructible. And remember what I said about a covenant. It is initiated and maintained and fulfilled by God. You were a part of this new covenant. And listen to what it says here starting in Jeremiah. I hope this gets you fired up a little bit, gives you a little bit of confidence that Jesus, the covenant you're stepping into, has redeemed you Jesus is a, the, t- the ark is a type of Jesus, a type of savior pointing forward to the saving of all mankind through the waters of salvation from the corrupt generation that we live in. And Jeremiah prophesies forward and says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah Not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. And you see, God never left them. He always had his eye on them. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will give their iniquity, forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And I will give them a new heart, a new spirit I will put within them. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land I give to your fathers and you shall be my people and I shall be your God. Wait, there's more. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the waste places shall be rebuilt. Listen, church, this is for you as well. God wants to rebuild you. Whatever has been stolen from you, God desires to replace. All he asks is that you trust him. And the land that was desolate shall be tilled, instead of being the desolation that it was in the sight of all who passed by. And they will say, this land that was desolate has become like a garden of Eden. And the waste and the desolate and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. The nations that are left all around you shall know that I am the Lord. And I have rebuilt the ruined places and planted that which was desolate I am the Lord, I have spoken, and I will do it. <clears throat> and I will save them from all the backsliding in which they sinned, and I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. I will make a covenant of peace through the Prince of Peace, who is Jesus Christ, and I, it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. And I will set in them in their land and multiply them and I will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. The nations will know that I am the Lord who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old covenant. He mediates, and just as much as the excellent than the old covenant, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second covenant He, Christ, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For Christ has entered, not into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us. Remember? He is the one who upholds his covenant, not us. But our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. My friends... God has always been looking for partnership with human beings. I don't know that it's accurate to say this, but I don't know of a place where God unilaterally, one-sided, decided to just go do something outside of creation itself. And even that was inside a relationship with the Holy Spirit and Jesus. He is always looking for friendship and always looking for partnership. And that is why he is a covenant-making God, because he wants you to know that he is with you and for you. Just like he said to Noah, just like he said to Abraham, just like he even said to Moses, he is the God who is with us and he desires your friendship. What would it look like if this church was full of friends of God? What would it look like in your own life if you recognized how much God desires friendship with you? You see, Jesus says in John 15, 15, he says, look, I don't call you servants anymore. No, I call you friends because servants don't know what the master's up to. I love that. Jesus himself calls us friends. And friends, I believe that is the call. You know, we, we want to place all the responsibility for the wickedness that's going on in the world on God's shoulders but we're the ones who've been invited into partnership with him to establish his kingdom on the earth. And I believe that that posture of trust, of faith and action, is what God is calling us to today. To step out in trust and faith that he is who he says he is and he's gonna do what he says he wants to do and he's gonna do it through partnership and friendship with you. So if you would, Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 and 21 over you. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good thing, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And God, we want to say thank you. We I can't even imagine the emotional roller coaster that you have been through over the course of human history. But we just want to stand here and say thank you. Thank you for loving us enough to make a way for us to step into your family to be inside and not on the outside, to have an inheritance in Jesus. Father God, we declare peace in Jesus' name over every heart and mind in this place. Every business, every family, every endeavor that is attached to this church family, would you cause it to prosper in Jesus' name? Would you cause trust and faith to rise up and we break off every assignment of the enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy in Jesus' name? we thank you. In faith, we receive life. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. And while your heads are bowed, I just want to give an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus. If you're here and you have never put your trust in Christ, now is your moment. All he's asking of you is to trust him. Just to say, I believe you. That's putting your faith in him. So if that's you, just raise your hand up. I see a few hands over there. Thank you. And secondarily, if you're a person, you've you've walked with Jesus, you've given your life to Jesus, but you say, man, I wanna step into a place of trusting you in this covenantal relationship, God. Help me, just raise your hand as well. So God, you see us, you see us. So I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me, everybody all together. Jesus Christ, you are king forever. I trust you. I trust you as my savior and I trust you as my leader. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Awesome. Well, if you guys would stand, I'd love to commission you guys out into the week today. Put a hand on somebody. If you're near somebody, put it on their shoulder. God, we thank you for this church family. Father, in the name of Christ, we bless them and commission them. Would you fill them afresh with the Holy Spirit as they step out into their assignment this week? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.